The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, thank you, Tom. How are you doing? Doing well, Father. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It's good to see you there. You too. Father, just uh, just recently, Dr. Taylor Marshall posted a uh, rather interesting video on his YouTube page, and it's a, a nearly two-hour-long video dealing with this question of sativicantism and uh, what, what St. Robert Bellarmine had to say about the question of a, a pope falling into heresy and the, uh, the consequences of that. And uh, like I said, Father, this video is nearly two hours long. It's uh, an interview uh, with a, a translator of uh, some of St. Robert Bellarmine's works. I believe Ryan, Ryan Grant is his name. And you've, you've watched a lot of this, this video. Father, what is, your, what is your take on this? Does it clear things up at all? Is it any kind of help to this, this, this uh, question of state of vicantism? What are your thoughts on this video? Well, I, I thought it was well done. Uh, I thought it was a more thorough treatment of St. Robert Bellerin's uh, exposition on this uh, in his work, The Controversies of the Christian Faith. This is the general controversy uh, number three, the third general controversy about the, the papacy, about the, the authority of the Pope. And the question was asked whether a Pope could be a heretic and still be Pope, right? And um, the, uh, you know, Dr. Taylor Marshall just gained notoriety because of his recently published book, Infiltration. Right. Oh. And so uh, he's had a lot of interest on his uh, website. I, I guess it's a blog. I don't know. Do you call you, it a blog? Is it a blog? YouTube, YouTube channel. Blog? Yeah. Okay, channel. Yeah. YouTube channel. Thank you. I, I don't know the terminology <laughs> too much. <clears throat> but uh, I did watch this all the way through in pieces. Um, I thought it had some interesting information. I thought that uh, that uh, the guest uh, Ryan Grant was very interesting and very measured in his speech, and uh, even uh, Taylor Marshall pointed out that they weren't trying to attack anyone or uh, declare war on anyone, um, but that they were just trying to cover in a rather measured way an informative way, the issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he, he was trying to kind of put something out for a discussion, uh, which in itself is not a bad idea, because I've been advocating for quite a while now that those who are uh, in disagreement about some of the very serious issues facing uh, Catholics today, that we have to be able to sit down and talk these things out in an intelligent and Catholic way, and not a, a vitriolic way, not a sarcastic way. Unfortunately, there's a little too much uh, sarcasm coming from too many acerbic uh, uh, minds out there, and this is what uh, causes problems. But uh, there aren't that many who are willing to actually have a civil discussion on the basis of what Catholic tradition actually tells us mm -hmm. <clears throat> what we are to do. Um, so that 
That being said, that I thought it was a, a good endeavor, and uh, I hope good comes from it, I would say that it really didn't answer, I think, some of the serious questions. Um, and it wasn't for, you know, a failure to try to answer those questions, but I think uh, the uh, Dr. Marshall and Ryan Grant might not uh, be aware of issues that they raised rather than solved. <clears throat> and basically what it comes down to is this, Tom. Uh, they, they, Father St. Robert Bellarmine actually responded to the question, and the question was uh, whether a pope could be a, a heretic and still retain the papacy or not. Okay? Right. Right. <clears throat> and um, uh, St. Robert Bellarmine raised five different answers. There were, there were five different opinions. And in raising these, he pointed out that they are legitimate opinions. I mean, it's, it's not as though anything has been dogmatically defined by the church. Uh, so the fact that he says these are five different opinions uh, puts them on the table as though they are opinions that a Catholic could hold, okay, and still be Catholic. And uh, the first opinion on the matter, uh, he attributes to, a, a, the, the name is somewhat unfortunate in English, uh, well, at least the sound of it in English, his name is Pigius, P-I-G-H-I-U-S, a theologian, who said that uh, a pope, once a man becomes a pope, he can never lose the faith. He can never defect from the faith, he can never become a heretic. Okay, So his opinion was that a pope would be protected from ever losing the faith. That's the first opinion. And uh, St. Robert Bellarmine said that he favors that opinion, personally, okay? He says that that is uh, certainly a, a worthy opinion, mm -hmm. but he doesn't say it's the common opinion, okay? <clears throat> and he says because it's not the common opinion among all the theologians and so on, he says there are other possible theologian uh, opinions, notably the opinion that, yes, a man could become the Pope, and then as Pope he can defect and lose the faith. The question was when, then, when he loses the faith, does he also lose the papacy? So he says, let, let's assume then that uh, the first opinion is wrong, that uh, uh, says that a pope cannot, uh, once he's the pope, ever defect from the faith. Let's say it's possible that a man who is a pope could defect from the faith. He said, what then? And the next four opinions involve that the eventuality of a pope losing the faith. And he goes on to the opinion of Trecomata, who says <clears throat> that if uh, a pope were to lose the faith um, by denying you know, doctrines of the faith, even privately, even uh, clandestinely, so then no one knew that he was a pope. So he was an occult heretic, in a, a cult, not in the sense of the modern parlance, but a cult meaning a hidden heretic, that he would still have lost the papacy immediately, as soon as he consented to heresy, even privately, even if he didn't tell anybody. Now, um, both Taylor Marshall and, um, and Ryan Grant, Grant <laughs> point out that... Um, uh, this is wrong. And they, they, they cite St. Robert Bellarmine, who says that that opinion <clears throat> cannot be so. 
And actually, it's easy to see why. I mean, it's not as though it was condemned by the church, but they say logically it is wrong. Because that would mean if a, if a man could become the Pope, lose the faith, and therefore lose the papacy, and no one would know it, then the entire church would be following a false Pope. Right. And uh, this, this is, they say, this, this would not work. Okay, and you can see why. I mean, I think most anybody would say, yeah, that's true. If, if, if a man, even for a private heresy, let alone a manifest heresy, but a private heresy that no one knows about, uh, would lose the papacy, then the whole church could be led astray without even being aware of it. And so they kind of dismiss that opinion. Uh, St. Robert Bellarmine dismisses that opinion. Then they go on to the third position, <coughs> And that position is, well, not only could the Pope become a heretic secretly, he could become a manifest heretic and openly espouse heresy, but there is nothing you could do about it. There, there are no consequences for it. He would still remain the Pope. He would have all the authority of the papacy. And yes, you would then you'd have the obligation to obey. And uh, now this seems very much like what uh, Bishop Schneider was advocating, right? right? Yes. And, uh, but this is one opinion which uh, St. Robert Bellarmine just says is absolutely uh, untenable. Really? <laughs> he says, because it is absolutely clear, it is certain, it is the common teaching of the church, mm -hmm. the fathers and doctors of the church and so on, that the faith is necessary to be a Catholic, having the faith, and that to being a Catholic is absolutely necessary to be a Pope, because you have to be a member of the church to be the head of the church on earth. And if you are a heretic, you cannot be a member of the church. I mean, the faith is a constitutive, it's an essential element, it's like an ontological requirement, okay, to be a Catholic, and therefore to be a Pope. So he rules this out entirely and says that no, you cannot say, well, I mean, he doesn't say that holding that opinion makes one a heretic or anything like that. He doesn't take that off the table, but he just says, in his estimation, he says, in his estimation, that is an untenable position, uh, that one could defect from the faith manifestly, uh, notoriously, and still retain the papacy, mm -hmm. because he couldn't even retain is his membership in the church at that point. Remember, we talked about that recently, yep. and that opinion of Peter Kwasniewski, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, who, uh, of all the men on earth, required less faith of a pope than anybody else. <laughs> that you and I could become heretics and be excommunicated, but he could, but Francis, for example, could be a heretic and still be the pope with no consequences whatsoever. So, um, this opinion, this position, Saint Robert Bellarmine completely ruled out in his own mind. And uh, so then he went on to the fourth position. And the fourth position he attributed to uh, Kegetin, a great theologian, who said that, yes, a pope could uh, lose the faith, he could defect from the faith, and by the very fact that he defected from the faith, he would also defect from the papacy. <clears throat> uh, he would lose the office of the papacy. In a sense, he would depose himself by the loss of faith. But uh, Kajetan said that um, even a manifest heretical pope, a manifestly heretical pope, would still need some declaration from some authority in the church to 
let, make it clear to everyone that he was a manifest heretic. Mm -hmm. And so Catcherton said that the church would, that there'd have to be a council. You're talking about bishops, members of the hierarchy would have to meet. And they would have to declare that he was no longer the Pope uh, because he'd lost the faith. Now, I've got to be careful here because uh, I don't know if he actually, exactly the wording that he used there, I have to go back and read this question, but St. Robert Bellarmine uh, did not accept that position because, and again, Ryan Grant explained it quite well, and Dr. Marshall also, uh, you know, added his thoughts on the subject. This seemed to savor of conciliarism, and conciliarism was a condemned doctrine or a condemned idea, condemned by the church, that a council could actually, like, impeach a pope, could actually judge a pope and, and, de and depose him. But a council can't, because the supreme pontiff is supreme. And he can't be judged by any council or anything like that. So they thought that this opinion savored of conciliarism, that it gave too much authority to a council, as though it had was a superior of a pope. So it could uh, de declare a pope to be, to be uh, deposed, as though it had the authority to depose him. So they, they, they condemned that idea. Well, it, Robert Bellarmine did not condemn the idea. He just said, I don't agree with it. <clears throat> okay. So they went on to the fifth opinion. The fifth position was what St. Robert Bellarmine says he espoused. And the fifth opinion was <clears throat> that, yes, a pope could defect from the faith, <clears throat> and in losing the faith and becoming a manifest heretic, he would lose the papacy. And he would no longer be the Pope at that moment that he assented to heresy. And it was a manifest heresy. Now, at this point, uh, the uh, gentleman on the video, uh, 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 Mr. Grant and, Mr. and Dr. Marshall, seemed to um, add something of their own, <laughs> something that is not in the text of St. Robert Bellarmine. Yeah. And I don't say that we're trying to slip that in, uh, I think that they were just commenting on the idea of, well, okay, it's fine to say, as we can agree with St. Robert Bellarmine, that if a pope became a manifest heretic, he would at that point have lost the papacy. Mm -hmm. But how do we know? I mean, who decides that? We said that, that Cajetan's idea of call, having a council called right. to declare the man no longer a pope wasn't acceptable. So they kind of took that issue and ran with it a bit and said, well, you'd, you'd still have to have a council because you couldn't have just I anybody deciding for himself, well, I think he's a manifest heretic, so as far as I'm concerned, he's not the Pope. Uh, so there had to be some sort of declaration made so everybody would know that, yes, he is a manifest heretic. But their point was that a council could only go that far in other words, if you had a council of members of the hierarchy of bishops who got together and, uh, and decided to judge the matter, they would have to judge the matter. They couldn't judge the Pope. <clears throat> they couldn't get together and say, we're issuing a declaratory judgment saying that he is no longer the Pope. What they would have to do is they'd say, he is actually teaching heresy, manifest heresy. And that's the, simply a statement of fact that he's teaching manifest heresy that his teaching is uh, pertinacious heresy, meaning he's stubborn in it, right, and resolute in it, even though he's been warned and admonished that that's heresy. Uh, 
he persists in it, and what he's teaching is contrary to the Catholic faith. And uh, therefore, uh, because he's a heretic, they wouldn't say this, but where the consequence would automatically follow. They say, uh, St. Barbara Bellarmine says, according to all the teachings of the, of the, the church, the common teaching is that if that's a fact, that the Pope is a manifest heretic, he cannot be the Pope. He would have lost the papacy. And uh, the problem I, I see with that is uh, not only that they sort of embellished and draw their own, drew their own conclusion uh, based upon the fifth position, which St. Robert Bellarmine says he held, but he St. Robert Bellarmine doesn't say that in the text. Mm -hmm about the council and just stating the fact that, you know, he's a, he's a heretic. Does St. Robert Bellarmine offer any kind of solution for that? Well, uh, no, I don't know that he does. I didn't see that anywhere. Um, but uh, that's why I think they had to kind of ad-lib there. Sure. It occurs to me that I might have misspoken when it came to the question of the uh, Pope losing his office when he consented to his heresy. Uh, that statement might lend itself to interpretation that I follow the second opinion as given by St. Robert Bellarmine that a, an occult heretic would lose his office as Pope, uh, even if uh, he did not manifest that heresy in any way. We said that that opinion was not, was not acceptable. Uh, were that the case, you know, the Pope could become an occult heretic, meaning a hidden heretic, uh, so that no one knew of his her internal heresy, that the entire church could be led astray into following a man who was secretly a heretic and therefore, in fact, not the Pope at all. Uh, I do not subscribe to that position, neither did St. Roger Bellarmine. Uh, and I don't mean to say that uh, by consenting to a heresy, the, a man automatically loses the papacy. What I meant to say is that if he manifests that heresy, if he professes it, if he professes it, teaches it, and does so obstinately, um, and uh, will not be corrected, uh, if he knows that it is heretical, and he is confronted with the heresy, but he insists on continuing to profess what is in fact heresy, he becomes a manifest heretic. And at that point, as St. Robert Bellarmine says, he would lose the papacy. Um, now, uh, my point is that Dr. Marshall and uh, Ryan Grant indicate that he would actually still have to be considered to be a true Roman pontiff until uh, a council of the hierarchy would get together and declare that he was a heretic, a manifest heretic. And the consequences, therefore, would take, would take place, um, that he would be recognized as no longer being the Pope. Um, that is where I part company with them, because I think they're adding a condition that St. Robert Bellarmine himself does not does not speak. But again, I, I don't want to indicate that at a moment that a man consents to heresy internally, he would lose the office of the papacy. I agree with St. Robert Bellarmine that when he manifests that heresy, 
so that it is it is patent or at least open to all that uh, he is a heretic, then then they could recognize that in fact he is not in fact the Roman Pontiff. But I see a number of problems with this. Um, <clears throat> And one of them is this. If a man were a pope and he became a manifest heretic, and as St. Margaret Bellarmine says, at that moment he lost the papacy and all the authority of the papacy. But you had to wait then for a council of bishops to convene and declare the fact that he, in fact, was teaching heresy. Six months, a year, five years could pass before that ever took place, that there was a de declaration to the effect that he's teaching heresy, but he would have stopped being the Pope when he became the heretic. So he could have been the, a non-Pope because of his heresy for... Well, he, for all that time, up to the Declaration. And everybody, according to them, would have to consider him the Pope until the Declaration is made. So he would have been functioning effectively as a non-Pope for all that time. And the Declaration would have said, okay, well, in fact, we find him guilty of heresy. Uh, we find that, he's, that he is a heretic, right? He's defected from the faith. <clears throat> And it would have been like five years ago, or whatever, three years ago, in which case all of the people would have had to have considered him the Pope all that time to find out that he really wasn't. So all of his acts have no canonical authority whatsoever. His appointments, retroactively, I mean, have no authority uh, as far as assigning bishops and appointing them and so on. I mean, the consequences would be very grave. Essentially what they'd be saying is, if, if it were to happen that a pope were to lapse into heresy, it would be guaranteed that there would be a certain period of time when, in fact, the entire church would be required to acknowledge a man who wasn't the pope as the pope, and they'd find out later that he wasn't. And this is, this is untenable, yeah. in my estimation, you know. There's a very serious problem with this position. But not only that, but... Um, also, if they're saying, uh, in the, in the, under the present circumstances, that you'd have to get a council together with regard to Francis, for example, you'd have to get a council of bishops together to declare that Francis, in fact, had defected from the faith. <clears throat> and you see that the bishops and the cardinals that he's appointed are all modernists like himself. <clears throat> and you realize, practically speaking, this is out of the question. You're not going to get a council of bishops or cardinals to come together <clears throat> to declare Francis a non-pope because he is, like them, a modernist, and he's their leader, the arch-modernist, or the supreme pontifex of modernism. Then, essentially, what they've left you with, and when I say they, I don't mean Robert Bellarmine, St. Robert Bellarmine, I mean uh, Ryan Grant and uh, Taylor Marshall, what they've left you with is the very third position, which they said is completely out of the question. That is, they've left you with a case where a manifest heretic uh, basically has no consequences. Because the only way there could be consequences is if you had a council that declared him a manifest heretic, and it's not going to happen. It's 
basically impossible because he stacked the college cardinals and because he's basically flooded the hierarchy with modernist creatures like himself. Uh, so even though they, they have told you that the third position saying a manifest heretic continues to be the Pope and no, there's nothing anyone can do about it, that's exactly what they presented us with today in the practical order. And again, I find that problematic too. <clears throat> a very wise gentleman also pointed out something. Well, you know, looking at the first position, okay, that a pope cannot be a heretic, he said, well, you know, you, you look at the situation where a man is, is not the pope, but he could be elected the pope. Can he be a heretic first? And as a heretic, can he be elected a pope? Well, the answer would be no, because the Pope has to be a Catholic, as a member of the Church, right? So the pope, they could not elect a heretic <coughs> to be the Pope. That's where I fear we are right now, because I believe that uh, uh, Jorge Bergoglio was a heretic before he was named, right? I don't think he ever even knew what the Catholic faith was, honestly. And there are reasons for that, but I won't go into that right now. But he came with an agenda, he began asserting the agenda, he began explaining what his concept of the church was, and it's not the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. He began explaining his concept of the papacy, and it's not the Catholic concept of the papacy. So I think that's where he was before he was chosen anything. Uh, but in any case, that's another story. But <clears throat> the question that was arose with the first position as presented in St. Robert Bellarmine's work was, could a man who is the Pope become a heretic? And as I mentioned, he cites Pigius as saying, no, it can't happen. And St. Robert Bellarmine thought that had merit. But then someone mentioned, well, in a sense it's true because if a Pope became a manifest heretic, well then he wouldn't be the Pope. So the Pope still would not be a heretic and the heretic would not be the Pope, right? So maybe in that sense, Pigius was correct, mm -hmm. that if a man were a heretic, he could not be elected pope. If he were the pope, he could not become a heretic. If he became a heretic, he wouldn't be the pope. So you can't have in the same man at the same time the papacy and heresy in any one of those scenarios. Right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess St. Mara Bellarmine's theological instincts could be could be, uh, you know, gravitating toward the first position, you could give him some merit for that. But that wouldn't rule out the fifth, that wouldn't rule out the fifth position either, though. Mm -hmm. That if a pope were to become a heretic, he would cease immediately being the pope. Mm -hmm. He couldn't be the pope and a heretic at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, th this is all very, very fascinating. I mean, it's a, a very uh, complicated question, you know, and it's very pertinent and relevant with, with everything we see going on with Francis today. But how would you answer those who say, uh, you know, uh, this is such a complicated, deep question. Even a, a great intellect such as St. Robert Bellarmine, you know, had to uh, seriously debate th this question and, and nothing really was even 100% settled uh, after that discussion. It seems like you said there is nothing that's, um, you know, kind of approved by the church, essentially, that, that said that this is a dogma of faith. You have to believe this. So how would you answer those who say, well, since this is such a complicated question, the safest route would just be to assume that Francis or, or any you know post-conciliar pope <coughs> is in fact the true pope, and we are just going to follow him until we hear something different from, from the church. Well, because it is a common opinion 
that one has to believe the Catholic faith and its integrity, that is, one cannot be a heretic, <coughs> to be a member of the church. And you have to be a member of the church to become a pope. And because that is the common opinion, <coughs> we can't just brush it aside. But are we not judging the, the post-conciliar pope by saying... Well, you see, that's where, that's where I'm going with it. That's what I'm going to explain here. Okay. That's where the issue becomes murky right there. Yeah. It's not really murky to say there's a, there's a definite Catholic position. In fact, it is the common Catholic position <clears throat> that a pope cannot be a heretic and a heretic cannot be a pope. Mm -hmm. so that's the common position. That is the position that St. Robert Bellarmine states is his position if it were possible for a pope to become, to lose the faith and defect from the faith, that he would, in fact, thereby defect from the, from the papacy. So that's a very safe Catholic position to hold. Um, there's, no, there's no risk in that, because if one holds that, he's a Catholic. Okay? The question arises, how does one know whether a man like Francis, for example, such as Francis, has in fact espoused heresy and is guilty of a manifest heresy. How did one know that? Is it left to Tom Negley to decide that for himself? Well, I, I think I think what he's saying is heresy. It's manifest because he's saying it at about 110 decibels, and he said it three times. So as far as I'm concerned, he's a notorious heretic, and he's not the pope. As far as I'm concerned, he's not my pope. Like he's not my president. <laughs> he's not my pope. So I'm I'm deposing him in my mind, in my heart, or whatever. Now, I mean, I can see why that would not necessarily be the way to proceed, right? Uh, and I think that's what Dr. Taylor Marshall and, um, and uh, Ryan Grant were getting at when they said, okay, well, if, if a man loses the papacy when he loses the faith, uh, is that up to just everybody to decide for himself, you know, every man for himself? Or does there have to be some kind of official declaration from some church authority? I can see why they would go that way, but they set up another problem. In answering it the way they did, they set up another problem. Uh, that, uh, yeah, well, I already explained what the problem was. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time you get around to a declaration that he's a you know, manifest heretic, it, you know, a long time could have passed that the whole, they, they wanted the whole church to still recognize him as a pope. And then in the end they say, well, guess what? He, he's been a heretic all this time, so he hasn't been a pope all this time. That's the consequence of, uh, I think, the inevitable consequence of what they're saying. So, uh, my own position on this is somewhat, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's unique, <coughs> I can't say it's a unique position, um, <coughs> because uh, I don't want to give myself the credit for a unique position. Um, <coughs> But at the same time, uh, I, mean, I don't find anybody else really enunciating it quite this way. I, I think, in a sense, we can avoid that whole issue. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, I think we can avoid the whole issue because I think it's, it's like a bottomless pit. I think it's an yeah. abyss yeah. here. And um, because we, I don't think we have the competence to judge it. Now, if I were convinced myself that somebody were a manifest heretic, uh, a, a man who was recognized as the Pope was a manifest heretic, and I made that judgment as a private judgment, and I said, well, you know, the common opinion of theologians in the church was that therefore he would have lost the papacy, could I follow that private opinion? Or would I have to say, well, no, no, on the uh, weighing against that, 
I have to say that he is recognized by the church as a, as a pope. So I have to make my private opinion yield to the common opinion of Catholics today, right? That he is, at least by convalidation, he must be the pope. But convalidation, the fact that he's recognized, in fact, by the majority of Catholics or even by the universal, moral universality of Catholics, would that make him the pope even if he is a heretic? Um, well, again, I don't think that the uh, common opinion of theologians would say, yeah, just because most everybody recognized him as the Pope, it would overcome the impediment of heresy, because their point is that, that to be a member of the Church, you have to be uh, a Catholic, and heresy means you're not a Catholic. The problem comes in here in terms of applying that standard of well, what constitutes manifest heresy. And, um, you know, you, you go to canon law, and you go to the works on ecclesiology, and they talk, they tell you about Catholic faith, the obligation to believe by divine Catholic faith, and when that becomes uh, uh, the, the faith, fides catholica uh, uh, divina et, et uh, definita, when it's defined by the solemn magisterium of the Church, you have an, a special obligation under pain of heresy, to believe these truths, you know, and you deny them, even if you doubt them, seriously doubt them, you are still subject to be, being considered a heretic. It's a very serious matter. <clears throat> so, if, if all the Catholic people in the world recognized a man as Pope, who was a manifest heretic, <clears throat> would their recognition of him as the Pope offset his manifest heresy and make him Pope even if he wasn't a Catholic. I think, again, that the fathers and doctors of the Church would say no, because, again, this is something that is an absolute condition of his being Pope, his being a Catholic, a member of the Church, and uh, therefore, um, even if every Catholic on the face of the earth recognized him as the Pope, and he could not possibly be the Pope because he didn't have the faith, then that wouldn't be enough to make him Pope or make him a Catholic. But I think what they'd say is, but it's impossible that all the Catholics on the faith of the earth would recognize such a man as the Pope. I think they would come back and say that, but the, the scenario itself is, is out of the question. So, I mean, this is where, for what it's worth, and this is where I am on the subject, okay? I think what we can say, and I'd like to think that we could agree on this. I mean, I'd like to think that Dr. Taylor Marshall and maybe Ryan uh, Grant and <clears throat> and others we've mentioned from time to time on the show. <clears throat> I'd like to think we'd all agree that there's at least an objective doubt concerning whether or not Francis really has the Catholic faith or not, whether he is a heretic, <clears throat> whether he had the faith when he was... Uh, when he was chosen, when he was elected, right? Um, we would say by the Nova Soto hierarchy, but they wouldn't agree with that necessarily, but regardless, whether he had the faith at that time, whether he had the faith when he was elected, um, whether he kept the faith, whether he defected from the faith, somewhere along the line, perhaps we can all agree that at this moment in time that there is serious reason to doubt. There are objective reasons to question whether or not he has the faith. And, therefore, okay, whether he's the Pope. There's a serious reason to doubt that, because, again, I mean, the common opinion, if he doesn't have the faith, 
you can't be you can't have the papacy either. <clears throat> so, um, but this is a manifest, not a cult, not hidden, but openly manifest, brazen, you know, in his the what he what he professes to believe. So, um, and that doubt in itself is really about all we need. <clears throat> that doubt means that if there is a serious question, an objective question as to whether he has the papacy, because there's a serious doubt, objective doubt as to whether he has the faith or not, then that means the authority with which he presents himself and with which he commands is, is in doubt. <clears throat> and I do not have to follow the commands of a doubtful authority. Uh, I do not have to be subject to the commands of anybody I think might have authority over me, but I don't know, I don't know for sure. Uh, that would be an impossible way to live. The church doesn't require that. So if there is a, if there's a real doubt as to some, whether someone holds an office and has the authority of that office, especially the papacy, and there's a real risk that it could be obeying the commands of someone who really isn't even the pope, and might even be an anti-pope, then, then Tom, I would go a little farther and I'd say this, look, Okay, Francis wears the white habit. He lives at the Pope's address, okay? He lives in the papal apartments. And he has, a, he has a Vatican City address and all the rest, okay? And he's got millions of people calling him Papa, right? But there is that question of whether or not he has the Catholic faith. At least I have a serious doubt about it, an objective doubt. And I'm not the only one. Serious people have serious doubts about that right now. So I say that his office is doubtful. His holding the office is doubtful because his, his faith is in doubt. But on the other hand, it's not a matter of my just following my own private conscience. On the other hand, I have a claim to obedience from the church itself throughout all the centuries, a claim to my allegiance to the traditional mass, to the traditional sacraments, to the traditional morality, the traditional teaching of the church, that also has a claim to me. And I would say that is much more certain, that is much more binding than any acclaim that Francis has with the doubtfulness of his faith and the doubtfulness of his office. I have a certainty that I am obliged to follow the tradition of the church. Mm -hmm. That's a fact, mm -hmm. no doubt about that. I'm certain that Francis is obliged to follow that tradition of the church. And for all uh, appearances, at least I can say, and I think many would agree with me, he's not doing that. He's commanding the opposite. And so I'd say, out of obedience, therefore, I'm obliged to follow the traditional teaching of the Catholic Church rather than follow a doubtful voice uh, of a doubtful faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's. I would like to think actually that many, many, even conservative Novus Ordo Catholics would say, "Yeah, yeah, I see that point. I can see that." And this is this is why I keep saying, "Come back and practice the traditional Catholic faith," because that's where your primary allegiance lies, right there. That's where it rests. Mm -hmm. That's where you have certainty. You don't have certainty in the faith of Francis Bergoglio. You don't have certainty there. Or for that reason, in his papacy, you don't have that certainty. 
Um, now again, others might raise, but what about this and what about that? Well, we can talk about those other issues, but I think this is basically where I'm coming from. Now look, in saying this to you, I have my own thoughts on the subject, and I have formed my own opinion on this matter, okay? But I'm just saying that I think, in the very least, I think this argument has merit for the sake of people's consciences and knowing what to do today so that they can follow the traditional Catholic faith, attend the traditional, the real traditional Catholic Mass offered by a traditional, real traditional Catholic priest, receive the traditional sacraments. In other words, engage in the real traditional Catholic worship of God. Mm-hmm. Father, I think it's manifestly true that there is a, a real and, and serious doubt about the uh, legitimacy of Francis's papacy because we, uh, even within the last several months, uh, it seems we've seen an, an explosion of, uh, of articles and blog posts and videos of, of dealing with this question of, of heretical popes. I remember not, not too long ago, I believe it was uh, Pat Buchanan wrote an article uh, that, or a column that was titled, Is the Pope Catholic? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we have some of our emailers writing us saying that they are... Uh, it was years ago. They, they, they say that they're praying for the conversion of, of Francis. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so I think it's manifestly true that there is that there is at least an, a doubt about the leg, uh, legitimacy of his papacy. But what would you say to those who... Uh, you know, they, they agree with you that, that, yes, there is this doubt, but they also say, you know, I am not the Pope, so I cannot decide one way or the other. I can form a logical opinion, but not a theological opinion. But what would you say if they went one step farther and said, okay, well, since I cannot for sure say that he is not the Pope, why why not obey him in the things that I can obey him? Why not, if uh, Francis were to get up tomorrow and, and proclaim a, a day of fast for world peace, why not follow him in that? Would that not be a much safer route to follow? It's... Well, in that case, no, it would not be. Why not? Because it would be saying, okay, I am going to listen to his voice, even though I say it's doubtful what he's commanding me, that it has authority over me, okay? But in this, I will acknowledge that authority, whereas otherwise I will not acknowledge that authority. And what a person comes down to in that case is saying, okay, I will decide when he's telling me something I can do that I I think is okay, and when he's telling me to do something that I don't think is okay. Uh, so rather than just acknowledge the fact that no matter what he tells me, there's a stigma attached to it because the whole authority behind it is in question. Now I'm going to be parsing his words at picking and choosing which thing I think is okay and which thing is not okay. So I'm kind of edging my best whether he has the authority or not, and I'm going to be the one to say, okay, in this I'll accept authority, in this I won't. That's, that again, in, to a Catholic mind, it doesn't work at all. If the authority is in doubt, if one decides the authority is in doubt, and therefore I, I, am, I, I not only have what liberty not to do what it, I'm commanded here, because the authority is doubtful, not only that, but because the tradition of the church commands that I do otherwise, that that's what I have to do. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, in other words, it's not just a matter of taking the tradition of the church off the table and say, okay, I don't have any obligations there. The only obligation, the only concern I have is whether Francis has authority and where it begins, where it ends, and what I have to do and what I don't have to do. It's not just a matter of Francis on the one side saying, do this or do that. It's the weight of the Catholic tradition on the other side, which has a claim to our allegiance and our obedience, that Francis is contradicting. 
So I can't just say, well, okay, Francis is over here and he's telling me to do this, telling me to do that. And okay, this I can do, that I can't, because I see that nah, it doesn't work for me. But no, 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 that's abstracting from the fact that I already have a claim to obedience, a prior claim to obedience to the tradition of the church. <clears throat> so I can't just kind of uh, uh, go down the list and check things off that Francis says that I, I think I can do okay and, and they cross off the things that I think I can't do. It's not that simple to... Yeah. And it would be scandalous to do so because it basically sends the message to people, well, it's okay to go ahead and follow doubtful authority. <clears throat> but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it could well be that this turns out to be the anti-pope and it might be declared such in the future. And we had plenty of warning and we had plenty of doubt about it. But we decided we were, this is where I fault Dr. Marshall and Ryan, uh, Ryan Grant. Is that they're saying we're supposed to pretend and go along and obey everything until we're told, guess what? Uh, he, he's been a heretic all this time. And uh, as though there are no consequences to that. But there are very serious consequences to that. Can one risk following an anti-pope if one has doubt whether or not he really is the pope? <clears throat> this is a serious question. You know. Now, things can be so confused, as they were back in the times of the Great Western Schism in the 1300s, that people made the wrong choices, made the wrong decisions. But that wasn't the decision whether to follow this man as the pope, and on the one hand, and Catholic tradition on the other. That wasn't the decision back then. During the Great Western Schism, the decision was to follow this man who is the Pope, or that man who is the Pope, or that man, as it turns <laughs> out, who is the Pope. You know, whether we're talking about the Pope in Rome and the Pope in Avignon and the Pope in Pisa, there it's a question of choosing, well, who is the real Pope? And there was a real doubt. And I would say, to, I would ask, uh, with regard to that, I would say, well, okay, Catholics were in a position here. They, they were trying to choose, okay? And it was very complicated, very difficult for them to choose between, well, initially Urban VI and Rome, and then the, the, the man whom the same French cardinals elected in Avignon, when, after electing Urban VI, they said they didn't like him, okay? So they went back to France and elected somebody else. <clears throat> That was really confusing. But, you know, we had saints on either side of the question. Saint uh, Catherine of Siena followed Urban VI and his successors, and she was right. I mean, he was really the Pope, as the Church itself declared, determined. <clears throat> and uh, Saint Vincent Ferrer, who was a saint, truly a saint, um, followed the, uh, the line of Avignon popes, who were not popes at all, as it turns out as the Church herself has declared. But he's still a saint. The Church didn't consider him to be at fault for this confusion, making a decision. But the question would come in, <clears throat> what if someone living at that time, not a saint, it's a Cancer de Siena, or a Saint Vincent Ferrer, said, you know, I really don't know. I just really don't know. Who is the Pope? I mean, I looked uh, to Rome and I looked to Avignon and I see the same cardinals basically had the election of both of them. And um, I, I don't know. I can't resolve this, this choice. So what does he do? Does he say, well, I'll just kind of flip a coin 
and say, that will determine whether I follow this man or that man, and realizing that the odds are 50-50 that I'm following an anti-pope, if he realizes that that is the choice he's making. That's a very, very serious issue. But that's not the issue we have today. The issue is, on one side, we have Francis Bergoglio, or Jorge Bergoglio, as he wants himself called, and the, the entire tradition of the Catholic Church, which claims, rightly, our love, our affection, our obedience, our loyalty, <clears throat> our allegiance, and all the rest. So, if this is the choice that is being given to us, and we realize there's a doubt about, all the more so we realize there's a doubt about the one, then I don't see that we have any practical doubt about what we should do in answering that. Um, don't you think that uh, there are a lot of people out there who would say, well, okay, I can understand the merit of that argument? Oh, yeah. I'd like to think so, anyway. Definitely, I, I, I do, Father, but I, I think that... And that avoids having to say, well, like dogmatic scientificatism, <clears throat> we, you know, dogmatically pronounce him not the Pope. Mm -hmm. they are mm -hmm. usurping authority they don't have. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's a really scary conclusion for a lot of people to come to, though, because then the next um, objection that is raised is, okay, if what you're saying is true, then it seems that uh, the, the see of, of Peter is, is vacant, the mm -hmm. line of apostolic succession is broken, the gates of hell have prevailed against the church. How can mm -hmm. that possibly be true? Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? Well, what I say is they don't have to make that decision. What, what I'm saying means, look, it, what it comes down to is this, okay? Uh, Dr. Marshall and, um, and, uh, and I, don't think he's a, I don't think he's a doctor, but Ryan Grant uh, come to the fifth position. And they, all, they agree, and St. Robert Bellarmine backs them up, that a pope loses the papacy when he loses the faith, mm -hmm. okay? They have then to deal with the question, what do we do? Uh, what do we do to decide this? How do we actually get a, a reliable decision of the matter so that we know, in fact, that he is a manifest heretic and the consequence, you know, follows? And uh, they say, well, regard him as the Pope then until you get a declaration, okay, <laughs> that he's a heretic, yeah. or that he's defected from the faith. Yeah. What I'm saying is not that. What I'm saying is, okay, when I agree with the principle that they agree, they espouse with St. Robert Bellarmine, that a manifest heretic, a pope, loses the papacy when he loses the faith. Right? I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, don't wait for a declaration to recognize at least the doubtfulness that that imposes of whether he's a pope, that you expect that the church is going to judge us in the future don't blindly pretend that all is okay and carry on saying, well, they might decide someday that he, that he defected from the faith uh, five years ago, and, but I, in the meantime, just carrying on as though nothing was happening. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying, no, during that time, recognize two things. <clears throat> recognize the doubtfulness of the man's papacy. Acknowledge the real obligation I have to the church in her tradition, and how binding my, my obedience is to that. Recognize that, and give my obedience to that. <clears throat> and then, what are the consequences of that time? <clears throat> Following Catholic tradition all that time, regardless of what comes from the Vatican, right? Mm -hmm. And the doubtful authority there. What are the consequences of that? <clears throat> 
Well, suppose then down the road, the church does in fact pronounce that this, this man has been a heretic, has pronounced heresy as a manifest heretic all this time. I have no regrets. I did the right thing. <clears throat> I was faithful to my prior obligation to the church. But let's say that declaration never comes. And let's say I go to meet my maker, right? And, and God calls me to him. I still have the peace of conscience in knowing I actually still did the right thing all that time. And I, I believe that that is, uh, under the circumstances today, the right thing to do, you know, at least come to that conclusion myself. And I, I can't help but think that there are others who, you know, in one way or another, have come to that conclusion without necessarily, you know, going through the same list of intellectual steps, but that they've just kind of defaulted to that mode as Catholics, that their Catholic sense tells them, this is what I should do to remain Catholic in these times. Mm -hmm. Father, I think that, that course of action really shows the, the wisdom of the church and the Catholic faith really is that we, we have a blueprint to follow, you know, in these, these times of confusion and, and uh, where we have these serious, complicated questions, we know what we have to do. Uh, the church has told us time and time again, just as St. Paul said, hold fast to the traditions that you have received. And that really is, is the essence of the the Catholic faith. And, mm -hmm. you know, we we had a lot of other things that we wanted to get to tonight, but I think it's already been a rather lengthy program. But in a way, I think we, we've we've covered a lot of that material because this this question really is, um, I mean, it's it's the question of the day. This this is really the vast majority of the emails received kind of, uh, they hinge on this, this question of uh, mm -hmm. these post-conciliar popes and the legitimacy of their papacy. And I think uh, that you've done a lot tonight to uh, kind of clear things up. So. Well, I hope so. And we did it about half the time that Dr. Marshall and, and Brian <laughs> Grant go. took. Um, <laughs> so um, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in knowing what they make of the where I think their argument breaks down them. Mm -hmm. and, um, but in any case, uh, I hope it is of some help to someone sure. uh, yeah. by the grace of God. So. Yeah. Well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Good time. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.